The Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! Oh! He broke his ankle! Follow me! Follow me to freedom! Ready for this. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering Podcast, featuring New York sports talk from a long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. i got a good show for this week. We're continuing basketball month here on the podcast. We did the NBA last week. Now we're going to gear up for college basketball time. NCAA tournament coming up next week. Selection Sunday on the way. We're going to dive into the Big East this week because it's a fascinating tournament going on there. We'll talk to Don Moore at the Hartford Current. He covers the UConn Huskies. We're back in the league for the first time since 2013. UConn's had an interesting year. Look at they're going to dance. Talk to Dom about them. Some of the other Big East hopefuls. Talk about what we're looking forward to in New York this week for the Big East tournament. I think it's one you got to track. This year on those fans, those bubble teams who you got to watch out. You could have a bit deep in there because Villanova and Creighton are not exactly safe to bets to win that tournament. So watch the Big East this week. We'll give you a preview of that with Dom in just a minute. We're also going to get into pop culture coverage. We're going to cover the finale of WandaVision that aired on Friday on Disney+. Plus. Fun finale. A lot of questions. A lot of stuff going on. We will talk to our pop culture correspondent, Sandra Rose, about that at the end of the show. But we'll get it all started with this week's opening tip, where we're going to talk about, give you the little primer here, a little catch-up on what's been going on in the world of college basketball right after this. Three, two. Y'all ready for this? The opening tip. And here we go. All right, opening tip time here for the NCAA tournament coming up. And I got to say, I love college basketball. As the great John Rothstein says every year about this time. This is March, and March is college basketball for me. It always has been. I get super geared up for the brackets, and that was one of the big sports tragedies of last year with the pandemic was that we lost March Madness. We did not get a chance to do it. The whole sports world, the whole world shut down in the middle of, the co- of championship week. That was the first thing to go, and we've been waiting a long time to get this back. And think about this now. About one week from when this is going to be in your ears, you will have brackets in your hands. You'll be talking about who's going to pull the 5-12 upset. Who's going to be the first one seed to go down. Who's your sleeper to go to the final four. Those are all things that are going to happen again. And I think it's so exciting. And I'll admit, I know it's not the biggest sport in the New York area because obviously the St. John's not been good for a while. Syracuse having a down year. You're saying, you know what? What's been going on in college basketball? I'll help you catch up. I know you've not been religiously following. I have. I've been keeping up with all this stuff. I gave you a little bit on the blog last week, a little bit of a primer of what's been going on in the college basketball world. But in case you missed that, here we go. The clear favorite right now to win the tournament is Gonzaga. Went undefeated in the regular season. Most explosive offense, one of them in the history of college basketball right now. They have a bona fide contender for the number one pick in point guard Jalen Suggs. He's a dynamic playmaker. They have great offensive pieces to complement him. And Drew Timmy, Corey Kispert, Joel Yai. There is... A lot of depth on this team. Mark Few's team went out of the league. They put up big wins all over the place. They beat West Virginia. They beat Virginia. 
They beat Iowa. They won massive games out of their league. And they stampeded through the West Coast Conference. They are number one with a bullet. And they will be the top seed in the dance. The Big Ten. Last year, we talked about them sending a dozen teams, potentially the Mars Madness. They're going to get probably eight or nine this year. But they have legitimate national title contenders. This league has not won a national championship since Michigan State did it back in 2000. You have four teams right now. You can see cutting the nets down in March here. You have the Michigan Wolverines, the number two team in the land right now. Jawan Howard has done a great job with this team. Freshman sensation center Hunter Dickinson, big-time players, Franz Wagner, Isaiah Livers, a lot of talent on that Michigan team. They're also very gutty. This team was shut down for a COVID pause by the State Department, State Health Department, because of a case of the British strain in their depart- in their program. Came back, first game off the break, and a lot of teams here, when they have the COVID pause, they struggle when they come back. Just as Baylor, which lost in its first, its second game back. Michigan got down big on the road at Wisconsin, came back, won that game in a dramatic finish. The Ohio State Buckeyes, also a big-time contender out of the Big Ten. Very deep roster, a lot of talented players on there. Chris Holtman's team slumped a little bit, but given the rigors of the league, I'm not worried about them. They'll be fine in the field. Illinois, the Fighting Illini, they have not been relevant in the Big Ten for a long time. Pandemic kind of helped them because they had Kofi Coburn and Ayo DeSomo both declare for the draft, and they came back. What happened with them? They have been a very good team this year. Went to Michigan and won the game. They went at Michigan, which has not been done without Dasunmo, who is out with a concussion. That was a big, big deal. Iowa also. Player of the year front runner Luca Garza. This team usually fades in, uh, in February. They have held their own. They are going to be in the mix for a top two seed. And I think they will be just fine there. The best team outside of the Big Ten and Gonzaga is Baylor. I think the Bears are incredible. I think they have a great team. They rebounded nicer from the COVID short COVID situation with pause. Came back, won a gritty road game at West Virginia. This team is loaded top to bottom. It's pretty much the exact same roster that last year was undefeated into February. They did it again. They are going to be a force in March. The Big 12 is a stacked league. You're going to send seven teams in. All of them could be five seeds or better, which is ridiculous. All that make the Sweet 16, it means somebody, which right now, as of recording, is Texas Tech, could be the seventh seed and playing in the first round of that Big 12 tournament and still get to the Sweet 16, which is absurd. They have a ridiculous amount of talent in that league. They also have the most exciting freshman in the country, Oklahoma State's Kate Cunningham. He is the best freshman in the country by far, and he is going to be, I think he's the top pick next year in the NBA draft. If you have watched him play, you know how good he is. You haven't, you need to make time to do it. He has so many different player comparisons. To me, I think he is like a young Grant Hill with better passing. He is incredible court vision. He's had some big moments. He scored 40 to help the Cowboys win at Oklahoma last week. Big deal for Kate Cunningham. The soon the Cowboys are going to be there. Fun to check them out. Another thing about this year, the Blue Bloods, your Dukes, your Kentuckys, your Michigan States, they're MIA. They have all been pretty down. North Carolina, you figure North Carolina, okay, 
Roy Williams got a better year after a disaster 2019-2020 campaign. This team is on the bubble. They're still probably going to get in because the bubble is weak, but not been a good year for them. Kansas, usually a team that's in the title title conversation, they've been down by their standards. They'd be about a three or four seed in the NCAA tournament, but I think the thing you worry about here is Duke, as of right now, they need to do some, some work in the AC tournament to get in. Their resume is not good. They have had a very weird year, the Jalen Johnson situation where he didn't really fit that team and he left early to go to the draft. They have not done a lot. They have a lot of bad loss in that resume. Duke is in trouble. Kentucky was a disaster in non-conference play. They've lost pretty much every big game they scheduled. They were not good in SEC play. Kentucky is not going dancing unless they win the SEC tournament this week. Michigan State was left for dead. They started out hot, had a COVID pause, came out of it terribly. They're picking up steam down the stretch. They beat Illinois. They beat Ohio State. They're hovering on that line between first four out, last four in. They're probably playing a first four game if they get in. They will be one to watch this week in Indianapolis for the Big Ten tournament. This group is not winning national titles. Somebody knew was going to get that group, which is really fascinating. You also look at the quality mid-majors. You know you're looking for the Cinderella watch. You're looking for the team to go on the big run. You have those two. Look at Loyola Chicago. Remember the Ramblers a couple of years ago? Rambler fever, as people like to call it, when they made the Final Four. They are back. They are locked right now for the field. They could be potentially 8-9 seed, give a one seed a really hard time on the second round. Be fun with them. The 8-10 is going to be another one that the bubblers are watching. You have four teams out of that league. They're not all going to make the field. But you have four teams in that league who could get in there, win a game or two in the field, whether it's St. Bonaventure, St. Louis, VCU, or Richmond. Those teams are all capable of beating teams in the first round. You also have a lot of these teams from the lesser leagues that we have not heard of, the one-bid leagues, that could be making noise. Belmont has had a tremendous year out of the Ohio Valley. Western Kentucky went to Alabama and won. And Alabama is the SEC frontrunner right now. They have shown that they can beat Big teams. Winthrop, another team that could be a big contender out of their league. They've lost only two games entering the conference tournament. A lot of those teams, you got to look at that 5 tail upside line and say, hmm, if I see Belmont there, I might take it depending on who they're playing. It's also interesting to see how the Big East fares in March. Right now, the league has two surefire locks of the tournament, Villanova and Creighton. They're going. They're probably around the 4 or 5 seed line right now, but they're going. UConn, we're going to talk about in a minute with Dama Morey. They're most likely in. Barring some unforeseen circumstances, they should be fine. They'll probably be about an 8 or a 9 seed, if I was to guess. You have a couple of bubble teams. You got Xavier, which has a good win on the non-conference. They won in one in Oklahoma, but they have not been the same since a lengthy COVID pause took them out. Seton Hall's trained the wrong direction, lost three in a row at a bad time, including two two teams at the bottom of the Big East. Plus, you had the threat, you know. There are teams in that 6, 7, 8 range in the Big East that could get hot in New York City and steal the bid. I'm talking about St. John's, which had looked for about a hot second that they're going to be on the ball themselves. Finally, they lose to Paul to themselves out of the mix, but they could get in hot in New York and steal this thing. Providence also, team picked third in the Big East preseason poll. Struggle a bit, have a dynamic guard in David Duke. 
They could get hot down the stretch. They could. This is a team you know Ed Cooley's history of putting his teams together that can win in March. And would you be shocked the Friars came to New York and won? I wouldn't. I think it's a lot of fun. Let's take a look at deeper look at the Huskies, the Biggies as a whole, with Dalmore, who covers UConn for the Hartford Current. Right after this. Basketball is my favorite sport. I like the way to dribble up and down the court. Just like I'm the king on the microphone. So it's Dr. J and Moses Malone. I like slam dunks and taking it to the hoop. My favorite play is the alley oop. I like the pick and roll. I like the give and go. Cause it's basketball of Mr. Kirch's role. All right, I am back here on the Just End the Suffering podcast. I am talking Biggie's Hoops and the Yukon Huskies with the guy who covers them for the Hartford Current. Dom Amore is here. Dom, how are you? I'm good, Mike. What's going on? How's everything? Everything's going pretty good. I have to say, watching college, yeah. college basketball has been a lot of fun for me because it's one of my favorite sports. And uh-huh. this season definitely has been so unusual with all the COVID pauses and yeah. No fans in arena, stuff like that. For somebody who's covering the sport right now, like how different has this been for you compared to previous years covering the team? Well, you know, of course, everything in our world is different, not just college basketball, not just sports. Nothing is really like it, um, like it, like it was, or even close to like it, like it usually is. And college basketball is no different. Um, you know, not having fans in the in the in the arenas makes every game seem like a neutral site game you know it's it's uh, it, it, and not having it's almost like you know almost like the preseason tournaments when you're playing in a ballroom and in uh in the bahamas or something and there's just a handful of fans in the stands because it's basically a made for tv event uh and that's where most of the games have that feel as i'm sure is the same with the nfl and mlb and the nba uh you know it, it's been uh you know, strange because you've had the long breaks and the disruptions. Uh, I mean, you never, you never have to worry about a game being postponed, you know, whereas now you do. And, uh, and of course with, with those long, with the, you don't have, you don't have teams playing the same numbers of games. So a lot of those things are, none of that's the same. And as far as our end of it, uh, it's trying to cover sports the way we do by, either watching games on TV or maybe in, the, in, in a couple of cases in the arena and then only the Zoom calls where you can't really talk to people and get a, get, get a feel for what's, going, for what's going on with those important off-the-record conversations that sports writers have. It's really, really hard to do what we do, but it's the best we, we, we can. It's, the, it's what we've got for, for at least the, uh, for this season. And, and I think on the whole, uh, Mike, it's been a season where I think fans have been entertained. Uh, the games have often been very, very good. Uh, there are some interesting teams and interesting storylines out there. And, you know, uh, after some disruption in, in January, the, the month of February and early March has been pretty, pretty good. They've been able to get most of the games in, and it looks like the NCAA tournament's going to come off. So much like baseball and football, they had, they've had their problems. But it looks like they're going to get to the finish line with a, you know, with a season that means something. Yeah, it's definitely the case. One of those teams that's interesting right now is the team that you cover, UConn. And this year, obviously, this is playing before the pandemic. But now they come back to the Big East, and I think it's a 
good fit for them to be back home in the Big East. I feel like it's more geographic mm. sense for them. They have some traditional rivals in there. How do you think that the transition back to the Big East play has gone for UConn so far? Well, I mean, frankly, it couldn't have gone much better. I mean, the fans, of course, uh, you know, always think it should go better and it should be, they should be like 18 and two or whatever. But I don't see how, how you could fault uh, being 11 and six in the Big East, being the number three seed in the Big East tournament, which they've now clinched. Uh, it's gone about as well as it could possibly go. I mean, it's, you know, the, it's unfortunate in the sense that uh, there was so much anticipation in Connecticut for being back in the Big East, playing this first year in the Big East, playing these old rivals again, that the atmospheres at the games in Connecticut would have been absolutely off the charts. And and for UConn to be making a, a tournament run again after five years, the the, the, the pent up uh, you know frustration over that finally letting itself out, this would have been an, a very very special one-of-a-kind season for UConn basketball if they were able to play their full schedule, you know, with fans. Uh, on, you know, next year will be, there'll be plenty of excitement next year, but, you know, you, you, you'll never have another chance to be that first year back in the league. So in that sense, there's, there's a little something missing, but I think as far as UConn goes, this is the league they belong in. This is the league they always should have been in. Nothing against the American Conference. It's a very good basketball conference. But UConn just didn't fit in it. They, they fit in this league, and they're playing opponents that UConn fans want to see. So I think you know the future of all of that will bear out that this was the, the best thing that could have happened to UConn. But I think they're holding up their end of it this year and having some success. Yeah, they definitely are. And one of the more interesting players on that team, somebody who has not gotten a ton of nationally because he missed a lot of games, was James Booknight, the star guard for UConn. Obviously, he's come back. They've won five of six and he's made a big problem in those games. So, like, how important is he to this UConn team, James Booknight? Well, I mean, he's the whole – I don't want to say he's the whole team, but he's he's the focal point. You know, he's the one guy uh, uh, that they have that really demands a double team, which makes everyone else more effective, even when he's not doing anything. His mere presence out there, uh, you know, uh, frees up other people to do things. Uh, but he's a great player. He's a dynamic scorer. He's the one guy that you can, like Shabazz Napier in the past, or Kemba, uh, in a big spot, you can give him the ball and say, hey, James, make a play. You, know, you don't have to draw something up or execute something. Just say, hey, James, make a play. And, you know, you saw a, 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 an op- a, a play last night where it was literally the entire – there were nothing but Seton Hall players between him and the basket. And he somehow got through them all and got to the basket and scored. You know, and he's – there aren't many players that could do that. Uh, he's certainly the only guy UConn has that can do that, and and that's that that kind of typifies the impact that uh, that he has on the entire team. Yeah, he really does. I mean, they look like a night and day difference between him on the four versus him on the sideline yeah. when he got hurt. And I think obviously he's very important. But who else on that team do you think is like a big X factor for them to try and make some noise in March? Yeah, well, you know, as important as uh, as his impact has been you know, since he returned from the injury, <clears throat> excuse me, it's just as important that the supporting cast was able to go four and four without him. You know, to play 500 ball in the Big East with the, the, the kind of teams that the league has top to bottom is not easy to do. But they're going, kind of keeping the team above water four and four while he was out 
is really a key to UConn being where it is right now. But you know, R.J. Cole, the transfer from Howard, uh, St. Anthony's kid out of Jersey, uh, struggled early in the season. I think you know after sitting out a year, the transfer, <clears throat> moving up from the MEAC to the Big East, a huge jump, probably took him a while to get up to speed. But he's playing great right now. He's he's been he's been huge. Uh, he and Book Knight now have formed this lethal backcourt combination that uh, I, I think can match up with just about anybody. And UConn's getting a lot from the front court with Isaiah Whaley, the senior, <laughs> an, an unheralded player that Dan Hurley inherited and really, really has helped develop into a very, very good player. And, of course, Adama Sonogo, another Jersey product who UConn kind of snatched out from under Seton Hall's nose. And, man, he, he, he made some difference last night. If, imagine if he were playing for Seton Hall instead of UConn. So uh, they, they've got a pretty good supporting cast. Tyrese Martin, the uh, transfer from Rhode Island, has been in and out, hot and cold. He's been cold lately. But he's also a very important player for UConn when, when he's right. And as a compliment to the book night, and Cole uh, combination. Yeah, I think some sense for sure. I think, obviously, one thing that's helped them is that the Big East, I think, compared to what it's been last couple years, a little bit down, in my opinion. And I I've, I don't know, I know if you've seen more games than I have in the Big East. Do you feel yeah. that the league is a little down compared to what it was even last year? Well, I think probably a couple of the teams at the bottom are, are not as good as the bottom two or three teams of the Big East usually are. Uh, you know, I think usually this team is pretty, pretty strong. You know, if not one through 11, certainly one through nine, one through 10. Uh, this year, I think maybe, you know, based on UConn's year, you know, they, they beat Butler twice, they beat Marquette twice, um, they beat DePaul twice. <clears throat> so maybe those three teams aren't quite as <clears throat> as up to the level that the bottom three of the biggest usually are. But, you know, I think, I still think, though, that this is a conference that is very, very, you know, no one's going to go in a 20-game season, no one's going to go 18-2 and two in this conference. There are too many good teams, too many challenges every night. If you're a little banged up or a little tired or a little off, you can lose to just about anybody. And, you know, I still think that when you go into the conference tournament, that there are probably at least six teams, if not more, that could conceivably make a hot, make, get hot, make a run, and win it. You know, St. John certainly could. Uh, Providence certainly could. You know, Georgetown... I, I has played really, really well. I mean, UConn beat them last week, but they've been playing really, really well lately, uh, and certainly Xavier. So I think, you know, I, I do think that from the top of the league, Villanova, Creighton, uh, UConn, through the middle of the pack, six, seven teams, eight teams, I think the league's pretty darn good. I just, uh, it may not be quite as strong uh, one through 11 as it normally is. Yeah, it makes sense. I want to get your opinion on some of these top teams based on what you've seen them so far. Because I'll start with Villanova, mm-hmm. too, because going into the year, Villanova was sort of like right up there with that Gonzaga-Baylor duo. It was like, oh, these are the teams that are going to be the top dog this year. But mm-hmm. something hasn't clicked with that. I don't know if it's just the effect of the COVID pause. Or they missed so many games yeah. down there, and now they lost Colin Gillespie last night to a big injury. So what do you? what's your takeaway on Villanova from what you've seen? Well, certainly if you lose Colin Gillespie, you're in trouble for them. I mean, he's He's the key man for them uh, in every way. He's a senior and, and, and the position he plays and his production. Um, although they still have a lot of talent, a lot of experienced talent, obviously you, you take him out of the mix. 
and that pulls them back to the pack. Uh, the COVID pauses obviously didn't do them any good, especially the timing of some of them. Um, but I don't know. I mean, when UConn played them, they looked awfully good to me. And that was only a couple of weeks ago. And they certainly made a statement last night against the Creighton team that obviously has some issues that uh, off the court issues that seem to be affecting them. But, you know, Villanova, I mean, they, they look awfully good to me. And I'm sure that they, uh, they're not going to be an easy out in the tournament, uh, in the NCAA tournament. Uh, although, you know, without Gillespie, they're, they're probably not a threat to go all the way. That makes some sense. You brought Creighton up too, and obviously they have issues off the court right now. Uh, Greg McDermott's mm-hmm. under some fire for some racially insensitive comments he made in the locker room. But right. uh, in terms of on the court stuff, the thing I know is this team is that tremendous firepower offensively have a lot of trouble on yeah. defense. I feel like they are kind of a team where I think their upside is like the Sweet Sixteen. I don't know if you feel the same way. Yeah, that's probably true. Um, <clears throat> I know when they played UConn, they did beat UConn twice. Um, once in overtime, Book Knight, of course, dropped the 40 points on him that night or that day. And then the other time without Book Knight. Uh, yeah, very explosive, very potent offensive team with Zegarowski. Uh, they don't play defense quite as well, uh, you know. But, you know, in, in a way that that's sometimes you can't do both. You know, if you if you play fast on offense and there's more possessions, you know, you're not going to hold teams in the 60s. But I do think that, you know, but they're obviously quite capable of, of winning games in the eighties that are played in the eighties. Um, and you know, sweet 16 sounds about right for them, but you know, they've got a lot of talent. They've got a lot of individual talent and the possibility that like a Zagorowski could go off and they could win almost any game that they play, you know, is always there. But obviously after last night, you know, they beat Villanova, uh, I think a couple of a week or so ago. And then after last night, it really showed that there's obviously, some distraction or, or some dispiriting that's going on from uh, Greg McDermott's uh, comments uh, in the locker room. And uh, they obviously were not the same last night. So uh, they've got to get it back and get it back quickly if they're going to even make the Sweet 16. Yeah. One other one, T, I want to get to also Seton Hall, a team that UConn played. We're recording on Thursday, March 4th. They played them last night. UConn won convincingly. Seton Hall is one of those teams I feel like got hurt the most by the pandemic last year, canceling the tournament, because that team could have made the Final Four with the amount of talent they have. They lost a bunch of key guys. Still has mm. Sandro Mamakuashvili, who's been a big star, but this sort of team has started trying the wrong direction as March starts. So, like, what did you know about Seton Hall yeah. last night? Well, I'll tell you what. I still really like Seton Hall. Uh, I thought they were undervalued in the preseason. Um, you know, I felt that even though Miles Powell was gone, the supporting cast around him uh, was a lot better than people thought and, and would shine. Uh, they've been hit with COVID pauses at terrible times, uh, particularly just before the start of the season. They ended up missing two weeks of practice, coming back, and, and only two, three days later going down to Louisville, and they nearly won the game. Uh, but they, do, they, they have very good, experienced big men. Uh, they've got an experienced point guard. I think they've all they've got all the, the ingredients to be really really good, but in the Big East you could have a three game losing streak any time, you know that's not unusual. <clears throat> they've had theirs at the worst time, and it would not surprise me if if they the lights go on in the garden and they all of a sudden um, you know get hot and make a run because I think they're good enough to do that. So I'm 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 uh, I, I like Seton Hall. I, I, even though they lost last night. I thought UConn just played exceptionally well and really took the game to them. 
Uh, and of course, that's that's something that you have to ask why Seattle allowed that to happen. But I really like their talent, and I really like a lot of things about their team. And I wouldn't write them off by any means, uh, even at this even at this late date. Yeah, I think the Big East turn next week's gonna be fascinating because obviously you got the two locks at the top. I think UConn's pretty safe for the dance. Then you have that sort of Xavier Seton Hall tier that's sort of like teetering between yeah. them being the first four, maybe one of the first four teams out of the field. And you got teams mm-hmm. like you said who like St. John's, like Providence, who could go in there, get hot, and steal the tournament, get the and get yeah, the bid. Steal so the I, bid. Steal the bid. I think this tournament's gonna be one of the ones that I feel like a lot of those teams in the bubble will be watching very close to see what happens down at the garden next week. Yeah, they should because there's this this tournament's definitely ripe for a bid stealer uh, because you've got teams like you know as you mentioned Providence and Xavier in particular, and I guess you could put Seton Hall in that group as well. Uh, you've got teams that are probably not at large material right now, but could very easily make it to the final and win it and steal that bid, taking the bid away from somewhere else. Whereas, you know, I don't think that Villanova or Creighton or even UConn at this point uh, is going to have a bid taken away from them. I mean, by by someone else winning the, the Big East. I think I think the Big East will certainly be a three-bid team and could very easily be a four-bid team. Or if somebody makes that run, even a five-bid team. So, yeah, I think you have to be, be have an eye out for Providence, have an eye out for Xavier, uh, maybe even have an eye out for Georgetown. Uh in that Big East tournament, uh, somebody gets hot and starts winning. Uh, a, a bid could be stolen from somewhere else. This, this league is is is. There's no way, uh, you know, Mike, of really evaluating how strong leagues are because you you didn't have the uh, the out of conference uh, games to to really have the metrics line up and add up the way they normally do. But remember, Marquette, which is at the bottom of the Big East, beat. North Carolina and Wisconsin, you know, um, obviously UConn beat USC, a very, very, very good team out in the Pac-10. There was, a, you know, Villanova's got a lot of quality wins outside of, of the conference. So, you know, th- this conference has been pretty good, and I think probably will not get the number of bids that it would have gotten in a normal year because of the way things go. But somebody could de- – any one of, of six or seven teams, I think, could get hot and steal that Big East tournament. Yeah, I think the one that I'm watching in terms of the actual steal, I think, is is Providence because Ed Cooley is a history of getting yeah. that team hot down the stretch. I remember last mm-hmm. year they were surging down the like, towards the tournament. They were coming out, yes. coming back from the dead. I mean, they played well enough, and there's enough talent there that I could see, you know, maybe just get hot and they happen to steal it. There's definitely enough talent there. Um, you know, Watson and uh, and Duke and, uh, and Reeves, there's enough talent there to, to do that. And, you know, they were picked third in the preseason in the Big East. Uh, I thought that might have been a little overvalued. I might have had Seton Hall third and maybe Providence fifth. But I'll tell you what, they're, they're very, I mean, they obviously played a great game to beat UConn at Providence. UConn did not have Book Knight that game. Uh, a week later with Book Knight, UConn turned the tables. But they, you know, Providence definitely has the talent and they have the pedigree to, to make a run. I, I would. I would I would keep a very close eye on them uh, when they get uh, you know if they get to to day two uh, they could just keep on going. Yeah, I want to close it real quick going back to UConn because obviously you and I are both in agreement with that they're pro- they're pretty much in the field right now barring some really mm-hmm. really strange circumstances and 
The area I've seen to have seen them in a lot of these mock brackets is that 8-9 game, which you know a lot of the high majors don't want to be in because that means you're getting the one mm-hmm. seed the second round. So if you right. if UConn ends up there and they end up getting somebody like an Illinois or a Michigan in the second mm-hmm. round, you think they can give them a big game? Oh, I think they could give them a big game. I, I think, um, you know, book night's going to be very, very tough to stop um, for anybody. And it's going to be very, very tough to stop him without – uh, putting so much emphasis in stopping him that one of three or four other players doesn't doesn't go off. But I think for UConn to, to get to get past a, a number one seed, they've really got to shoot lights out from three point range, and that means the one guy we didn't talk about, Tyler Polly, senior, great shooter, uh, at least a great looking shooter, great form, but he hasn't necessarily hit consistently. But when he hits lights, when he shoots the way he's capable of as a three-pointer, three-point shooter, uh, that really changes the, the dynamic for UConn, especially with Book Knight out there. And I think that's it's something that you saw from the UConn team a few years ago when Niels Gafai uh, started getting red hot from three-point land in the postseason. And uh, he just drew so much defense out there that, the middle was open for Shabazz Napier and, and Ryan Boatwright. And you know how that turned out in that tournament as a number seven seed. So I really think UConn would need that three-point shooting piece to, to get past the number one seed. But I do think I do think they're capable of that. Um, and, you know, you know, UConn hasn't been in the tournament in five years, Mike. Uh, they'll take an 8-9 game. You know, if they, if they win an 8-9 game and lose to a number one seed, uh, UConn could, I think, put that away and say, "Well, this this was a heck of a year, and uh, there's nowhere to go. We're not, it's not trending anywhere but up from here." But I think, yeah, I, I think an eight nine seed seems most likely. I mean, I think if they win on Saturday, eleven wins in the Big East, and you know, get maybe get a win in, in New York, you get to the semifinals. I mean, I, they could be better than that. They could be more like a seven, um, but. One thing is in the American Conference, you could win the whole league and end up being an eight nine and eight nine game. So, I think that's that's a fringe benefit of being in the Big East. Yeah, I think that certainly be fun to track in New York next week. Don, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, how can people follow you on social media and keep up with your coverage of UConn for the Harper Current? Yeah, well, you can follow me on Twitter at Amore Current A M O R E C O U R A N T, and all my stuff appears on the Current website, uh, Current C O U R A N T. And, of course, if you're in Connecticut, uh, no reason you can't pick up a copy of the the Hartford Current uh, anywhere where fine newspapers are sold. So, uh, you know, do do follow along, and, uh, you know, I'll be with them to the end. Yeah, we're definitely keeping up. I'm not in New Connecticut because I can't buy the paper there, but I will follow online, Don. Thanks for all the time. I appreciate it. You got it. We are back here talking about the WandaVision finale on the podcast. The first and possibly the only season has been wrapped. All nine episodes are now available on Disney+. Plus. Joining today, somebody who talked about the first three episodes with, then four and five, Sam Stilleros, our pop culture correspondent here. Sam, how are you? 
I'm great. How are you? Doing pretty good. Happy to get WandaVision in the books. That was a fun ride, all nine episodes. That was a very fun and entertaining ride. I had so much fun. Yeah, I will say when this one came out, I talked about this last week with Nick Friday on the podcast. When I saw this came out, so I was like, eh, do we need this? And we did need this. We 100% needed this. And I've never been so happy to be wrong in my life about a show. Yeah, I also think it's funny because thinking about how everything worked out with this show, this was not supposed to be the first one because last year, plans it was going to come maybe the end of 2020 because we had Falcon Winter Soldier first, and then COVID hit. It was everything back. This one happened to be the one that was ready first, and they dropped it first. It's our first real Marvel offering since Spider-Man Far From Home, and it's been so interesting. Uh, I thought it was an amazing journey with this whole entire show. Yeah. I'm not going to wait any longer. I'm going to put the spoiler warning out there. People who have not finished the finale yet. <laughs> Give you a few more seconds to get out of here if you have not seen it yet. And also, props to you if you have not gotten to Monday night without seeing the finale and not being spoiled. Good job by you. So get out of here if you haven't. Go finish the finale. Come back. I have to say, I enjoyed it. I know the internet is mixed on it. What did you think about the finale? I... I liked it. I was very upset that people were just so, like, you know, so negative about everything. Like, okay, first off, it's hard to do series finales as is, as we know historically, with every single television series finale in the history of season finales or series finales. So, honestly, I didn't think they did that bad of a job at all. I mean, there have been bad series finales out there. You remember The Sopranos? You remember how I met your mother? Yeah. Those ones. Uh, I don't. <laughs> Game of Game of Thrones, another one that's got that can hand universally. This one. Yep. Two. <laughs> this one feels a bit like the Lost finale to me, in the sense where, like, if you did not get your theory answered or was not correct, or you didn't get the big cameo, you were very unhappy of what you saw. But if you appreciated the show for what it was and you, the journey it took you on, you enjoyed it. I feel like that's the way I've seen this being interpreted online. Yeah, I mean, I 100% agree, especially because I think it was it served its purpose to set up the next Marvel movie, like the multiverse. Yep. Like Doctor Strange in the multiverse. And people were upset that there was no Doctor Strange in there and there wasn't actually, you know, a quick you know, Quicksilver and everything. But I think it was 100% needed. Yeah, it was It was a very good finale for what the show was. I think people sort of got on the hype train and sort of saw this thing and they're going wild with all the theorizing. Like, oh, here comes Magneto into the MCU. Here come all the mutants. Here's real Quicksilver and from, from the Fox universe. Here comes maybe Mephisto. Maybe we're getting with Fantastic Four, but no. This is, the show is called WandaVision. It's not called bringing every single random X-Men you could find. It's, <laughs> people sort of got carried away, and then when it didn't deliver that, it's something the showrunners acknowledged. Before the finale, they had articles out saying, if you are going to be in on the theories, you're going to be disappointed. But if you like the show for what it is, you'll enjoy it. So, like, when Elizabeth Olsen said that there was going to be, like, a Luke Skywalker similar to The Mandalorian. Yeah. It was it was literally the Scarlet Witch. She was the Luke Skywalker. So I don't understand why people had such a problem with it. Now I think she was she was the Luke Skywalker. I think they took it in terms of like they're expecting this. Oh, here's this cameo we knew nothing about, and 
Elizabeth Olsen, though, Troy is not very active on social media. She Maybe she didn't know the Evan Peters casting had been leaked. And maybe she assumed that that was what our Luke Skywalker moment was when we had Evan Peters show up as his Pietro version. That was something that a lot of people did not see coming. But if you followed the news, you saw he was supposedly in the cast of the show. So that made sense. I guess so. And then also the best thing that I saw, thankfully for our social media stuff on TikTok, you know, um, when Agnes talks about, you know, what's his face? Um, what she calls him, she doesn't call him Ralph. She calls him something else, right? Her husband, Ralph. She says. Yeah, oh, it is Ralph. It's him. It's Ralph yeah. Bonner, the yeah. guy who lives in her attic. And it's, you know what? It's pretty funny. Yeah. Thinking it, like, oh, he, you know, he would never remember our anniversary or whatever. Like, of course he won't remember your anniversary because you've literally have him under his control, like under your control. So I think that was so clever of the show. Yeah, this is a very funny Marvel moment too because we've been hearing the whole show, Agatha Harkness, a.k.a. Agnes, says, oh, my husband Ralph, you never see Ralph. And you get some fans asking, who is Ralph? We're going to find out. And I just didn't think so. And then we find out that fake Pietro is actually some out-of-work, unemployed actor named Ralph Boner. And... They make basically make a big joke about his last name, and that's the whole thing. I'm like, that's typical Marvel humor. You guys are not amused, and I don't get it. Exactly. Like, it's Marvel. It's going to be Marvel to some sort, you know, to an extent. So why are we so surprised that that was going to be kind of like a, a joke there for you? Yeah, that was a good joke. And I mean, people at this point, it was not the real, like, Fox version of Quicksilver. But you never know. Like, like this is just the beginning of stuff. He might sh- show up later on. Exactly. They didn't like they didn't cancel out the X-Men universe. They did nothing of the sort. What they did was bring the Scarlet Witch into the Marvel Universe that we have now, like they did like like they already have in the comics, which I thought was a super important part of the show. I, I do think that was a good part of the show. I also want to touch on real quick the fight between the two visions, the white vision and the vision from Wanda's mind. I thought that was pretty fun. I did kind of nail this in the podcast last week with Nick. I said, here's what happened. They're going to fight. I did not get the whole that we're going to trick each other with like sort of like use logic puzzles to diffuse the situation. But I did. So we did get the transfusion of basically memories from the WandaVision into the White Vision and White Vision flies away. So I think it's pretty interesting. Obviously, they want to keep Paul Bettany around. He's still in the universe somewhere, but I don't think we're going to see him for a while. No, I don't think so either. I feel like he'll come down like, you know, maybe in the last second of the um, the new movie that will be coming out, the multiverse movie. Uh, but I feel like that's like, I'll save him for a rainy day. That whole fight scene, as much as it was good, it was kind of like, you know, like funny, like, oh, like, you know what I mean? Like it, it. I don't know. It, it kind of felt out of place. It did because this is the first real action sequence in the whole series. It's in the finale. Mm-hmm. Like, we went through eight episodes, including stuff with Sword and stuff with, with Monica Rambo. We did not get these kind of big action sequences. We got a couple in the finale. So that was where it sort of felt more like, oh, here's actual Marvel coming in. Yeah. And then on top of that, the Sword show on ABC is not canon, it- which we've learned now, too, with the book. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which I, I, I'm glad you brought that up. I want to talk about that. I watched all seven seasons of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., so the book the I did, so I, I did actually subject myself to that, so. Damn, I didn't last an entire regular one season. Yeah, the problem with Aids of S.H.I.E.L.D. was they their first season got held up so long they were trying to tie into the Captain America and the Winter Soldier movie, so they got 
were basically waiting, 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 waiting for it to drop. And then, then it got good after that because they had were able to tell the stories they wanted to. But and what Sam is referencing for the people who are not aware of is obviously in the finale, we see Agatha Harkness grabbing the Dark Hole, which is the Book of the Damned, a big like magical book that basically gives you uh, magicians access to cursed powers in the, in the comic book universe. Aliens of S.H.I.E.L.D. accessed the book in season four of its show, where at the end of it, basically, not dead Phil Coulson drops it in hell, and apparently it gets pulled out of hell in another one of the random Marvel shows, and now it's been in the world somewhere. Agatha gets it by 2023, so technically you can argue that S.H.I.E.L.D. is still canon at that point because it's about nine years after the book was accessed on the show, but at the same time, they don't want to acknowledge Shield exists, so this is basically a new dark hole for everybody who is interested. Yeah, I mean, like, let's be real though. Agatha was the real MVP of villains. Yeah, times like because we had the last villain we had was Thanos, and he just sucked. Like he, I don't know, like right. he was Thanos. Like, cool. Thanos two point Thanos one point was a badass. Yeah, and then we had, like, Thanos, like, on vacation, sitting there, like, whatever. Yeah. And now we have Agatha, like, where you have, like, you kind of make yourself, like, feel for her. Because, like, Thanos, did we ever feel for him, ever? Well, the first one we did. The second one, we did not care for. The second one was basically, like, rawr, I'm going to destroy the universe. It was The first one, we actually felt like he was going on the warrior's quest, and he believed this is what he had to do. I, I That one was the more popular Thanos, by far. Yeah, but, like, this one with Agatha, it's like, all right, so she is, like, a witch during the Salem Witch Trials at first, and then you're like, oh, wow, oh, my God, she's getting, like, put on the stake, and then you find out her family, like, hates her because she's, like, super dark. Yeah. And she's, like, really cool. I don't know. I kind of rooted for her as much as that makes, you know, me sound like a villain, but I, like, I thought she's so cool. Like, the thing was, I, I was kind of confused at the direction they're trying to go with Agnes, because first... They give you the whole Agatha's all it was Agatha all along in episode seven, the whole musical bop, and you're like, okay, this is, she's the bad guy of the show. Then they spend a whole episode eight basically trying to convince you that she just wants the magic and she just wants to learn from Wanda how she did this. And then we're back to full like mustache twirly villaining in episode nine. And I'm like, pick a direction with her, please, and stick with it. This just bothered me. True. Like, cause like I feel like her character though in the comics is like they're friends one moment and then they're like enemies the next like i know that she like doesn't she teach in the comics yeah she's she's wanda's mentor at one point exactly so maybe i'm like maybe they also just got confused with the whole planning thing the people at marvel yeah the thing i will say though that was pretty cool on that of them in the agatha wanda fight i did not like the whole thing about the using the uh, the I forget what they were called, but like she, when she uses the trick that Wanda, that Agatha used against her in episode eight and episode nine. Oh. Yes. Using those to sort of like t- turn the tables there. I thought the moment that was cool was when Agatha basically starts freeing the town people from Wanda's trap and you start seeing their personalities come out and how pissed they're getting at Wanda. Like that was like a really, really cool moment. And then you see Wanda basically realize like how destructive her powers can be. I thought that was a very powerful moment in, in the show. Yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't mind the runes part because, yeah. you know, Agatha's like, because I feel like Agatha underestimates Wanda yeah. completely. So like when she's throwing these spells and stuff, she's like missing on purpose. But Agatha's like, yo, she sucks. Like she's not even hitting me right now, you know. But then at the end, it's just like she pulls up with these runes, 
And they're like, she, then Agatha's like, oh, look at her. She got me. I mean, it was an easy out. I'm not going to lie to you. I totally agree with you that like, it was kind of like a loophole. Like it was like very easy to like, just like contain Agatha. But like, you know, it's, it wasn't like too badly done. I feel like anything Marvel, I always like, I never hold anything to a high regard, to be honest, because it is a superhero. Yeah, it's certainly. Yeah, TV it's, show. Yeah, that's fair. I also think the interesting part about this at the end was Wanda, instead of like, killing Agatha, basically just uses her mind control and turns her back into Agatha's nosy neighbor, and we leave her basically floating around Westview, and I wonder, A, how annoyed those times people are going to be when Agatha just starts randomly walking in their house and just starts bothering them, because it's not the 1950s anymore. Yeah, but it'll be great. Yeah. It is like Wanda's always here because she left Agatha. Yeah. yeah, that's that's the first thing. And the second thing is you know that like she's gonna be back at some point, Catherine Hahn, because too good a wanna... too good an actress, too big a too fun a character, like at some point you know Wanda is going back and undoing the spell to find out to get guidance from Agatha on how to use her powers. Yeah, one hundred percent. That like I feel like, you know, she tested well, everybody received the character well. So she's definitely gonna be back for, you know, not just because of the popularity, but also for the canon for the comics as well. Yeah. What'd you think about the setup at the end there where Wanda finally sacrifices her fake fam her grief family for to get the town back and yeah, the moment where you tuck, tuck the kids into bed and then she has the final conversation with Vision. What'd you feel about that, watching it? So, first off, super sad yeah. because you know that she knows that she has to give this up because yeah. it's what she needs to do. I just recently saw, I'm sorry to bring this up all the time, but this TikTok where, um, where they brought up, they're like, well, Billy has mind-reading abilities. He totally knows about this. But then I'm getting then again, I'm like, well, he's the creation of Wanda. So he might not have be able to read Vision's mind because Wanda can't read Vision's mind. And so I'm thinking Billy can't read Wanda's. But what if Billy could read their minds and he knew that he was just going to disappear? You know, that kind of yeah. just sits weird with me. Um, but I don't know. I just thought like the whole the entire thing was just so sad because, again, for the third time, we had to see Vision and Wanda say goodbye for good, yeah. you know. Yeah, twice in Endgame and then once here. Exactly. And for those who didn't see, I put air quotes for the for good. <laughs> yeah, because this is this is still a comic book-based property. Vision is not really dead. We have White Vision flowing around somewhere. Who knows? Maybe he left an oven on an Avengers Tower and remembered he has to go shut it off or something. But, <laughs> but I think in terms of this finale, I thought it was pretty well done. I do think... In terms of the show, I do feel like this is clearly, I think, they're not coming back to this anytime soon. I mean, they called the episode the series finale. That tells you all you need to know about what's going on here because this was to have to launch Wanda Maximoff into Doctor Strange and Multiverse of Madness. You heard them reference the Sorcerer Supreme and not bring him onto the show. So this was just launching Wanda up. And maybe down the line we'll get a second season, but not for a couple of years at least. I honestly feel like this would just be like a limited series. Yeah. Oh, I don't think they're going to do a season two. If they do do a season two, it's going to be like super far down the line when it's like, you know how everything's getting like a revamped now, like yes. Saved by the Bell and like, you know, Boy Meets World had their revamp. Like one of those things where, you know, it just sets it up for later, later, later down the line kind of deal. Yeah. 
So I really don't think there's, there's going to be a season two. It was there to serve its storyline purpose, you know, solve the riddle of vision, solve the riddle of Wanda to the Scarlet Witch. And, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. I hope Darcy gets powers. Well, Darcy will be back somewhere. I feel like they'll bring her in somewhere, but. They said that she'll be in Love and Thunder. That makes sense. That makes sense. Definitely in that one, I heard. Yeah, I think also with this show, two things about it is like, number one, the cat's out of the bed. You can't do this again, have having the same type of formula as you had this season with the show. Because I think yeah. if you try and run it back in like three years, you're, just, you're sort of cheating here. And it's not going to be the same. It's going to be a cheap copy of the, what's going on. And also, this is a self-contained story. This is literally a story about Marvel's take on grief. We saw it with Wanda, to a lesser degree with Monica Rambo, like flipping back in the universe after her mom has passed away in the time she was just dusted by mm-hmm. Thanos. And you're not telling that story the same way if it's not the same kind of deal. So I think it's one and done. It should be one and done. I mean, there's stuff they're going to do that can be more than one season, like the Hawkeye show, for instance. I know, like, they could do a season with Jeremy Renner and then do whoever he's training as the Hawkeye be a separate season. But you can't yeah. do a second season of WandaVision, I don't think. No, definitely not. And it also set up Monica to go into space, as we saw. I'll, I'm not trying to give anything away. But, like, it set up different characters to go out onto di- onto different plot points. So it's just like, okay, so, you know, we set Wanda for this. We set Monica up for that. We set Darcy up for this. Like, you know, it like, you know, Jimmy Woo, we set for something else because apparently he's going to be into the the third uh, Ant-Man movie. Yeah. So, like, this was meant to, like, bring out the plot points. Yeah. Let's get to those post-credits scenes. You brought Wanda up. We deal with the first. There's two. The mid-credits scene is Monica Rambeau basically cleaning up the town. She gets pulled in by a sword agent who ends up being a scroll. Basically, mm-hmm. invites her to space and says, "He hears, he's heard you've been grounded. Let's. He wants to talk to you." And basically, clearly setting up her being Captain Marvel too. She's gonna meet Nick Fury in space. That's basically what we learned in that one. Yes, one hundred percent. There's no arguments on that one. The second one's the more interesting one. That's the post credits, and we see Wanda in an isolated cabin. We see her drinking coffee and find out that she's actually figured out how to, like, astral project herself. So, like, her witch per- persona is reading the dark hold. We hear the kids scream out in some ether. And this sort of sets up, again, something we talked about earlier. She might be the villain of Multiverse of Madness here. And Doctor Strange has to stop her. Yeah, unfortunate. Um, you know, because you, you talk, we've talked about, you know, and heard about, you know, especially with Monica saying, you're not the villain. Like, they don't let them vilify you. But with everything going on and reading the book, the book makes you dark, makes you, you know, quote unquote evil. So, like, you know, who knows what this is going to lead her, the path that's going to lead her down to. And she's deceiving the real world as it is because that's not Wanda. That's the Scarlet Witch pretending to be Wanda because she's actually reading the book. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I'm sure. Strange is going to have issues with that because, you know, Doctor Strange has never been my favorite superhero. So. Yeah, because yeah, we, we see clearly she's trying to figure out how to bring her kids into existence because they're in some sort of, they probably exist in some alternate universe and she's trying to bring them into this one. And this is sort of where mm-hmm. Doctor Strange couple come in. They'll be in conflict about this. This is, I think, where the whole multiverse can of worms going to open up right here, where we get a little bit tease of it in Spider-Man. <laughs> Far from home, and Spider-Man: Spider-Man No Way Home, whatever the title is of that yeah. show, of that movie. But 
That's where it's coming in. The multiverse is coming out. That's where you get your X-Men. That's where you get your, some of your other stuff happening. So that's where you get. Exactly. I agree 100%, especially because, like, if you're going to have um, the Scarlet Witch now, the Scarlet Witch is the one that brings the X-Men into, um, into life. She's the one who creates them and stuff, right? Isn't that what happens in the comics? Well, there was a there's one the House of M, which is the story that people thought this was based on. Was a, there's a point where she just go basically wipes all the mutants by going no more mutants, no more mutants. She basically wipes out all the mutants. So they, okay. they wipes. That's one of the theories that people were mad about. They thought it's gonna be a situation where she's gonna create the mutants, and that did not happen here. So gotcha. So yeah. who knows what this movie is gonna be like? Because it is multiverse. She might like try to get her kids. Yes. Yeah. All together, great one. We'll see Ralph Bonner again, but as Quicksilver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think we'll see Ralph Bonner again. I think we see Evan Peters actually playing Quicksilver this time. Oh, 100 yeah. percent. Or it will be funny if we'll have like a little callback to WandaVision. You yeah. know what I mean? Because yeah. you know Marvel's pretty quirky with that. That's true because they are very tight in the continuity. As, as people remember, Nick and I talked about this last week. Like, they'll pay attention to who's in backgrounds or scenes and bring them back. Like. Perfect example, mm-hmm. Avengers Endgame. The kid who plays Tony Stark's little friend in Iron Man 3 came back as the same actor, came back to the funeral. Yeah, and then, like, who thinks of that? Yeah. Only Marvel. Yeah, only Marvel. And let's talk about some some fun stuff here. Who was the MVP of WandaVision Season 1? Oh, 100% Wanda, a.k.a. Elizabeth Olsen. Yes. I, I loved her character arc completely. And we learned more about her than we would have ever done in a movie. Yeah, this is why this shows like this work because if you put this in on the big screen and said, "Here's our movie. Here it's starring Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany," you're not getting a lot of people to go. No, not, not unless, at all. Not unless you're attaching somebody bigger, one of the bigger stars. Like unless it's like Steve Rogers is in this and as like Chris Evans in it, and these two are the secondary characters. This is a vehicle where they get their own story. She got a chance to be the lead. She shined. Yeah, and then you also created leads in itself. So maybe if there is a movie next time, like with the with Jimmy Woo or Darcy or with White Vision or something. Also, did you think that um, Ultron was going to be this White Vision? Because that was my guess, and I was very upset I was wrong. That was an interesting theory. I did not consider that. I fall from what the comics had, it said basically more like a cyborg where he's just completely emotionless and like sort of like a Marvel version of Terminator. That's sort of what I thought they were going for there. See, me too. I just thought it was going to be uh, what's-his-face, uh, the voice. Oh, James Vader. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was, oh, maybe that's going to be him, but sorry to digress, yeah. but um, if I was going to give a second MVP, it was definitely um, Monica Rambo because yeah. I feel like she had a huge character arc as well. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm giving my MVP to Katherine Hahn as, as Agnes because... <laughs> She, yes. whenever she showed up, she was so much fun. She got into all these roles. We had a good storyline from her, and like, she was a big, it was a big deal to get her on the show, and they did such a good job with her on it. So I'm happy that they they had her on there. I think with a much less product was different actress in that role. Yeah, I mean, I and everybody's saying like the EGOT, the Emmys, Oscar, yeah. you know, all that, like the Grammy, yeah. Tony Awards. Yeah. They're like. I hope that WandaVision helps to get herself an EGOT yeah. like award. Like it's just the funny things that people say. Yeah, I think that that's a good one. I also throw a bonus point on the Jimmy Woo, just because like he had so he was so fun this entire season. When we see him mastering the card trick, Ant Man was trying to teach him in Ant Man Two, and he was pretty useful. He was pretty helpful to Monica Rambo. So good job by Jimmy Woo. 
yeah, he's great. And I really think that he's going to be a big character in the future. Yeah. Let's go the way. Who are the worst characters of this show? Who was the LVP for you? Um, to me, it was White Vision. I yeah. feel like they didn't put a lot of thought into him in that aspect. If not, the stupid agent whose name always forgets. Who hey, always... Hayward. Yeah. What was his point? What was the point of Hayward? Yeah. yeah. I will. I'm gonna. I'm gonna dump all my LVPs on Hayward because he is by far the worst villain they have created in years. Literally, they wasn't gonna try. Literally years. Like when he, the, I'll give you the point where I knew for a fact that he was my LVP. It was when they have the the moment when the kids are in the middle of the square, and he decides I'm gonna shoot the children. I'm like, they are 10-year-old children. How big of an asshole do you have to be to be shooting at kids? But you know what? You can even bring it before that, too, when he brings Monica into the office. He treats her like crap. Yeah. Again, this is like a very just like one-note evil, one-note dick, basically. But yeah. him shooting the kids or tend to shoot the kids, and we find out Monica saved them for one, and I forget where it was Tommy or Billy using their powers to manipulate the bullets so they don't hit them, but like that's just such lazy writing from the staff. It's like, oh, he's not bad enough. We'll have him shoot the children. Yeah, I mean, let's be real. Like the show started off here with writing, and it it made the curvature down. I mean, I feel like that's mostly everything we have in entertainment industry. Nothing really just shoots up on a high. But I agree with you. I think that was very lazy with Hayward. I was bothered by that because we've had a good run of villains in the MCU lately. We had Thanos 1.0. We had Killmonger. We've had even Mysterio for what he was in Spider-Man uh, Far From Home was interesting. He yeah. Was, Hayward was not. No, especially how how did we get rid of Hayward? Darcy hits him with the truck and then they like and then she disappears and then he just gets walked away in handcuffs. Like, yeah. I don't Just a very like, they just wanted to like put everything together to fix it. Yeah. Also, a little disappointing too. We couldn't get uh cat Dennings for 30 seconds in the, in the mid credit scene, just piecing out on them. I guess she was too busy filming Thor gone thunder. Yeah. I like to talk it up to that, or maybe coronavirus ruined it for us. Or maybe they just, this is something that people also did not realize. And then the criticism of the show is like, Oh, why didn't Dr. Strange appear? Or why didn't like we get Ian McKellen as Magneto appear? I'm like, this is a TV show budget. We're not yeah. we're not paying like through the through the arm and the leg to get Doctor Strange to show up for about ten seconds. It makes no sense, especially because they spent most of their budget on CGI. Yeah, I mean we got a lot of stuff, and people like they just got a little greedy with this. Exactly, and who knows what Winter Soldier is going to give us either? So we have our plot points for WandaVision. So you know how we had like the Civil War, like yeah. the Iron Man versus Captain America. Yeah, maybe. We'll have like a certain like not exactly the same like 1v1 but there's going to be like two teams for each yeah i don't know i guess coming to the future of the mcu yeah the falcon winter soldier thing i'm excited to see that come out in about a week and a half it's going to drop the first episode i'm happy that we're not going to get too much downtime between wandavision and that so it makes me very happy <laughs> yeah this week we get the the behind the scenes special we're like what happened sort of what disney gallery did for mandalorian we're gonna get the WandaVision version that are giving like a documentary on Disney Plus this week talking about, oh, here's some of the behind-the-scenes stuff for that show. And then six weeks of Falcon Winter Soldier. I think that's great. But I wish it was 10, but whatever. What do I know? 
from what I've been gathering, I read somewhere online in one of the interviews, I think that Kevin Feige did, said basically it's six hours of content for each show. It's a matter of how they package it like, as hour-long episodes or shorter, like they did for WandaVision, to get more episodes out of it. But All right, well, that makes me feel a little bit better. Yeah, because I think this is another one where it's going to be like a limited run. I, mean, I, I This one, I'd be surprised to get a season two out of it, too, just because it seems like such a high-budget concept. I do wonder, though, where we're going to end up with this because this is sort of picking up after we saw Sam get the shield, the end of Avengers Endgame, and you wonder, like, are we setting up, like, at the end of this, he's fully Captain America and then he's going to show up in a team-up movie somewhere or he's getting his own movie? Well, I don't want to, like, ruin the timeline for your listeners, but today is March the 8th at almost 10 p.m. at night. It'll be out the next next day. Okay, cool. So, yeah, so this is me talking to you in the future by not even a full 24 hours, but I'm watching The Bachelor tonight, and they had a commercial for it, and both Bucky and Sam are using this shield, which I thought was very interesting. Yeah, it is, because they, the comics, both of them have been taking out the mantle at one point or another, so. Yeah, and Agent, I didn't know Agent 13 was going to be in it. Yeah, I, I knew I knew that uh, Emily Van Camp and Sharon Carr were going to be there. Like I'd, I'd heard that one before. So funny! I never learned her name. I just know her as Agent Thirteen. <laughs> yeah, well, she's she's a, she is there. I think it's gonna be a fun show. I'm gonna be doing the premiere next, like two weeks out. I don't know if I'm gonna do weekly on it, but we'll keep an eye on that. Oh, I'm very excited. I'll be watching religiously, like I do for all Marvel things. Yeah, that so that's the Wandavision stuff right there, and. Before I let you go, as always, what, have, what else have you been streaming? I know you've got The Bachelor going on, the whole controversy with that show. So what else is going uh, on? Well, I'm on a lighter, much, um, I feel like, out of the loop. I feel like I'm not out of the loop on most things, but I missed Modern Family as a human being. Yeah. So I'm watching Modern Family, and I'm crying laughing, like, yeah. every single day. It is so funny. It's also funny that they we had an episode of Watch It Two Weeks Ago did a little bit of a Modern Family parody. Yes, and it's so funny, too, because I started watching it a little before that, and it popped on, and I'm like, wow, what are the odds? And then um, I watched the Cecil Hotel documentary or crime-umentary or whatever we call that now. That was insane. Um, But I have a bunch of stuff on my list. I just had to find time to watch it. Yeah, I, I'm on, I have that on my list. I'm watching on my list right now Spycraft. It's like a Netflix like docuseries about, like, the history of like spycraft and all the technology used for spying. That, that's pretty interesting. That's really cool. So you said you have Cecil Hotel on your list. Yeah, that's on my list. Murder on the Mormons is on my list. I have a lot of those like true crime yeah. ones on my list. We, I feel like you and I both love true, true, true crime. But um, with the Cecil Hotel, do you know who like backed that? No, I do not. Ron Howard. Oh, damn. That's what I'm saying. I'm like watching like, Unless, unless I'm wrong and there are two Ron Howards out in Hollywood making documentaries about crime. But, like, it, his name is on there. Yeah. So that's a big deal if he's if he's attaching himself to this. Yeah. And it's funny, too, because, like, uh, two years ago, I started listening to um, different, like, you know, podcasts with crime. And they talked about that hotel. And it's, like, very eerie. About that whole thing. We can get into a whole subject on that, so I won't continue on, but it's spooky. Yeah, that's that's something I definitely want to check out soon. Probably after March Man's, I'll be diving, clearing more on my list. But I also have been diving still into the Clone Wars. Next week on the podcast, I'm going to be joined by 
the Sky Guys themselves, Pete Considori, Nick Frey. We're going to talk about season two of the Clone Wars. I'm currently on season three right now, working through. Oh, beat me. I need, I need to catch up. I feel like I'm so far behind and I can't even listen because I feel like I'm going to get things spoiled for me. Yeah, my path is basically like I try and do two episodes a day. That's what I try and do if I, if I get to it that day. Yeah, that's much better than I would have been doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I'm, I just as of recording today, I watched through C- episode six of season number three. So uh, you're getting there. I've seen, I'm watching Modern Family much, uh, much lighter note. I don't have to follow the plot as much. Yeah, well, I've I've had like the the Plowing Wars podcast a lot of fun. When you get you get caught up, check it out. We had some fun. We dunk on a few bad characters. We have fun with the good plot. It's a it's a fun fun listen. Oh, I'm very excited. I've been holding off just because I haven't made it to season two, like the middle of season two yet. So I feel like after that, I can start listening. Yeah, the middle of season two really picks up. So that's where I recommend you get back in. Oh, I can't. I have, I'll, I'll just buckle down and do it. All right, there you have it, Sam. Thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I can't wait. Hopefully, hopefully I'll be around for uh, Winter Soldier. Yeah, I'm, so. sure we'll, I'm sure we'll check in with you at some point in the process. Definitely. I just said Winter Soldier when I meant to say yeah. the other one, but yeah. my fault. <laughs> yeah. Before I let you go, people follow social media. They want to keep out some of the stuff you're up to. Um, on Twitter, I'm at S-D-E-R-O-S-6. Uh, Instagram, SDeRosa175. Just Google Sam DeRosa, not the famous singer, and you'll probably find me. All right. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right, and there you have this week's show. I want to thank my guest, Donald Moy, for taking the time to talk about UConn basketball and break down the Big East a bit. It'll be a fun tournament this week in New York. I also want to thank Sandra, our pop culture correspondent, for breaking down the WandaVision finale and some other fun pop culture shenanigans as well. You want to bring stuff like this podcast, including my offseason preview for the New York Jets, so they have a lot of questions to solve this offseason. They need a quarterback. They need some offensive line help. They need playmakers. They have a lot of assets to do it. They have a lot of ways to go. Check out the blog over at justinthesuffering.wordpress.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, all the usual suspects. Simply search for Just and the Suffering on any of your favorite podcast platforms. You can find all our all episodes there. Feel free to give your feedback and star rank as well. Help make this podcast even better going forward. You can also subscribe to my YouTube channel, Mike Phillips on YouTube. You can find all the individual conversations of the podcast up there. My chats with Dom and Sam will both be on the podcast YouTube channel today. Mike Phillips on YouTube. You want to check that out as well. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. Coming up next week on the podcast, we got some fun March Madness stuff coming up here. We're going to break down the brackets. We're going to dive into it, pick some upsets, go in some gambling. Also, a little Sky Guys kind of coming next week. Stay tuned for that. So, I hope you have better week than Duke fans. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.